to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 52. Growing up in the Peak District and then the Sidlaw Hills, Simon Milne developed a passion for nature, conservation and the great outdoors at an early age. But discouraged by an unhelpful school teacher, he swapped conservation for a long and rewarding career in the Royal Marines, including counter-terrorism work in Northern Ireland and Bosnia, working as a jungle warfare instructor and, later on, taking on the civil servants of Whitehall. After being awarded an MBE and then being invalided out of the Royal Marines, Simon returned to his first love and got involved in the worlds of conservation and horticulture. He then took the reins at the Scottish Wildlife Trust and is now Regis Keeper of the Royal Botanic Garden, which, while located in Edinburgh, works in 35 countries around the world. Our interview was recorded on Zoom in front of a large global audience at one of the Scottish Business Network's Autumn Series events. Simon is a great listener and you can hear his story in just 45 seconds. But first, a word on behalf of our partners, A1 SEO, who help businesses win more traffic from online search. Traffic arriving from search engines is much more likely to convert than traffic from other channels, as you're being visited by people at the very moment they are searching for the products or services you offer. And Graham Grieve, the founder of A1 SEO, is now offering listeners to this podcast a free, personalised 15-minute mini-audit of your website. Simply drop him an email at graham at a1seo.digital with your website's URL and a couple of keywords that you want your business to be associated with. Let's kick off by finding out what life has been like for you in the the pandemic crisis, both in terms of how you've managed to continue running the business and also the impact on you personally. Um, Yeah, I mean, other than the obvious issues of of income drying up uh, and the financial issues, it's the the key thing has been maintaining that momentum through the through the pandemic, uh, particularly on the global front, maintaining competitive advantage uh, with all our scientific. Uh, programs around the world, so making sure that we're there, even if we're not being able to produce very much during the pandemic because of furlough. Uh, it was about fundraising, uh, making sure that we're staying in, in touch with our uh, potential and current uh, donors. Uh, that was vital. And of course, the changing fundraising uh, landscape uh, was made it more difficult because people's eyes were not necessarily on the environment and conservation. Uh, we managed to help that along uh, because there were opportunities as well as challenges because COVID pandemic was uh, mainly or in part uh, caused by the destruction of biodiversity around the world with animals coming into closer contact than they should do naturally uh, as David Attenborough so well uh, put over on the television program on Sunday last week. Uh, so there were certainly opportunities there to make sure that people were aware of, of our relevance, uh, not just to uh, maintaining the ecological health of the planet, but also of uh, human health. Other than that, it's the usual stuff of you know, online uh, meetings and keeping the, keeping the staff engaged. And it's amazing how vulnerable some of the staff felt uh, during the pandemic and always looking to the leader for answers, which we don't necessarily have. And that was always quite quite a challenge, thinking that I knew when we would come out of lockdown, for example, which I don't. But uh, lots of challenges and some opportunities. 
Uh, you grew up, let's, let's go back to your, where it all began now, your childhood. So you, you grew up in the Peak District and then the Sidlaw Hills. Uh, I'm imagining a young Simon Mill out and about with his magnifying glass, perhaps. Um, but what, so what were your plans then? What did you really want to do when, when you, you grew up? I think from a very young age, I always wanted to get into plants and conservation. Uh, I come from a family of botanists, horticulturists, brought up in the country on farms and gardens. Um, it was always always there, inspired by people such as Peter Scott, Gerald Durrell, uh, all the people in the, the big conservations of the 60s. I think one of the big influences, uh, something which I sort of followed up on in later years, uh, was, was school. And in the summer, we had nature walks every two weeks out into the Peak District. And you really got to grips with the nature. You learned bird songs, you took plants away, you painted them. And that added that added inspiration. And when you look around and see so many kids these days don't have access to quality green space, let alone being taught about them. That's something that we're trying to address at the botanics. So, yeah, it's always been there. It's always been a passion for me. And, and hey, what's not to like about working uh, in the field, which is your passion as well? I believe you then had an interesting conversation with the careers master about how you could pursue this interest. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, very much so. Uh, the career master, a bit of a useless old git, actually, frankly. Um, <laughs> perhaps I shouldn't say that. But he uh, he said, well, what, what are you going to do, Milne? And, and I said, well, I'd, I'd like to go into conservation. I'd like to be the next Peter Scott or Gerald Durrell. He said, no, no. He said, that's not a career. He said, you, you need to go off and be a doctor or a lawyer or, or something like that. And uh, so he rather put me off the idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so I, I then thought, well, okay. Uh, I probably want to end up doing that, but let's go and have some adventure and do something different. So that's when I joined the Royal Marines. So tell us about that, a huge, a huge chunk of your career, 21 years, as I say. So what were some of the key chapters of that, uh, that period? Um, well, the, the main thing was was enjoying leadership, actually, from a very young age. So key chapters were, I suppose, commando training and proving to yourself that you could actually cope with the physical and intellectual demands and rigor that it takes to be a commando. So you certainly grow up very quickly in those circumstances. Uh, and then after training, being being sent literally after a long weekend straight into the front line in Northern Ireland, taking over a troop of 30 Marines who were doing ambushes uh, to uh, intercept the terrorists. And suddenly you realize age 21, that you are leading these guys into, well, hopefully not into danger, but out of danger. Um, so that was exciting stuff. Uh, most of my time was spent with counterterrorism, Northern Ireland and other places, and Bosnia. Uh, that was that was quite a, an evolution. Plus, uh, jungle warfare instructor. I was uh, Arctic specialist. And then the other battle I fought or battles I fought were in Whitehall, which was a completely different existence in the MOD, but uh, battles with almost as much blood as, as other places sometimes. <laughs> so a huge variety of, of things there. I mean, what, what did you most enjoy about that military career? Leadership obviously comes springs to mind. And, but what, what did you almost also find the most challenging? Um, most challenging was multinational strategic planning. Um, where you're working with partners from other services, uh, other countries, uh, and trying to reach um, agreed plans, agreed objectives. Uh, very difficult, particularly in Bosnia. We were working with uh, six or seven 
uh, nations there. So a lot of diplomacy involved, uh, horse trading, um, and learning the the guile, I suppose, of, of diplomats and how to get agreement to to do things. Uh, that was part of it. Working with politicians and politics, that's something I, I learned a lot about in the MOD. Uh, and I think also sort of being outcome-based, um, seeing, making sure that processes were just processes to get you somewhere. I mean, how many people do we work with who revel in processes and forget the outcomes? But it certainly made me very outcome-focused. And it's the thing I always ask my team at work, and I think Emma's online saying, okay, what do you want to get out of this? What is the aim? How does this fit with our mission? And the military certainly do that for you. Any other aspects of, of the style of leadership that um, Army or the Royal Marines, in your case, <coughs> instills in you? Um, I'm, I'm interested in how that style of leadership compares to some of the notions of leadership that are, are promoted in, in modern business. What are some of the differences? I, I think that directly... Um, relevant actually it's about risk management it's about strategic planning it's about sometimes making people do things they don't want to do uh, it's about managing change and quick and strong leadership I almost used Theresa's, Theresa May's phrase then but uh, I didn't go that far <laughs> um, but being able to make that, those decisions very quickly and good decisions hopefully so I, I've, certainly a lot of my contemporaries in the Marines have gone on to do a lot of interesting things in business and be very successful. And I think that the grounding that uh, certainly my part of the services gave you was, was huge. Resilience as well, uh, cheerfulness in adversity and coping with all those ups and downs. So, yeah, uh, I don't think there's any better leadership training. It's not all about going around and shouting at people. Uh, life isn't like that at all in, in the military most of the time. So what? To, to leave uh, the Marines and then you took on a role as director of the uh, Sir Harold Hillier Gardens, I believe it was, down in, in Hampshire. So, how, And how did you find that transition from military life to civilian life? Um, I left because I was invalided out and that gave me opportunity to go back to what I really wanted to do, which was conservation and plants and ignore the advice of my long dead uh, careers master. <laughs> and um, I was given uh, this opportunity to be the director down there. They wanted a leader uh, who could actually uh, move the organization on or up a few notches and with who had an empathy for plants. So rather than uh, an expert in plants with some leadership, it was the other way around. And I think, I think you see a lot of that now in organizations such as the Botanics where I'm at the moment, Q, who are appointing... Uh, non-academics to drive the organization, uh, people who are professional leaders rather than academics who perhaps haven't done a lot of leadership. So it wasn't it wasn't too difficult. It was um, strategic planning. It was um, getting to grips with uh, a major capital project. So that's project management, something that I did with the with the services. A few challenges. Um, I learned how to work with volunteers, that was unknown. Uh, and also, perhaps the thing in the Royal Marines is they tend to attract some of the, the best people that want to be in the military, and therefore you're always working with people of very, very high quality who could always be relied upon with very few exceptions. But out in the civilian world, they discovered that actually life wasn't quite so easy, and uh, therefore you had to cope more with, a lot more with um, 
let's say, career development and uh, performance management. Uh, I think that's something I learned very early on in, in the civilian world that uh, to do uh, in a better way, because that's something I hadn't had to deal with to that extent before. The second half of the interview continues in a few seconds after this. Do you need a communications expert to help you with your marketing, brand storytelling or strategic content? Find out what I, Fraser Allen, can provide at www.allencoms.co.uk. That's Allen with two L's and an E and comms with two M's. In 2004, you became Chief Executive of the Scottish Wildlife Trust. What were the, the main challenges that you, you faced there and how do you feel you developed the organisation over, I think you were there for, for 10 years? Yeah, I think the main, the main issues there or the main challenges there were um, taking a near bankrupt charity, a much loved charity, but near bankrupt uh, nonetheless, into something which had a bit more or a lot more financial resilience. It was to change the governance. It was run by one of those boards in those days, which were very hands-on and didn't let the executive actually take uh, executive control. So we managed to change that and to professionalize the organization from uh, being a bunch of very passionate people, but who were not really well qualified in the main, not always, uh, to really pull the organization up by its bootstraps and work out what it is that they wanted to do you know, what was their unique selling point and to get some really big projects, uh, beavers and squirrels and natural capital in there so that uh, people would be uh, inspired to support us as well as obviously doing outstanding work for the wildlife of Scotland. So your, your next move was to your current role at the uh, Botanic Garden. So what attracted you to that role in, and, and what is your vision for the organisation? Uh, what attracted me to that role, uh, lots and lots of things, quite apart from, from the plants and uh, having under my wing four magnificent gardens. I think it was the global reach of the organization. It works in 35 countries around the world. Uh, our online courses now reach over 50 countries. So it was actually making a difference around the world to not just wildlife and ecosystems, but also societal impact. And I think that's uh, you talk about the vision. The big vision is to uh, directly and indirectly have a huge impact on societies around the world through the study and conservation and education about plants. All known life depends on plants. All businesses, all you, everybody uh, that I'm looking at on this screen uh, in their supply chain will involve some extent uh, plants. And it was getting getting natural capital onto the agenda and making sure that we uh, built ourselves up as, or continue to be, a world-leading botanical research institute that really had impact. I think the biggest challenge was making sure that people, particularly politicians in, uh, in Scotland, is to understand the impact that we have in Scotland around the world, not just a, a pretty park, uh, which some people uh, describe it as, which uh, I really don't like at all, because it's a lot more than that. It certainly is, but I, I kind of can't help but wonder, do you sometimes wander around the garden and, and pinch yourself to think back to the the young boy who dreamt of working in, in conservation? And also, it, it is a beautiful place. So what, what are your favourite parts of the garden? But what more broadly than that, what are, what are the aspects of its work that you're, you're proudest of? 
Yeah, I do pinch myself. I'm I'm very lucky. I mean, I, I reckon I've got the best best job in the world. Um, it's it's fantastic, and uh, we have four gardens in Scotland. Uh, they all change season by season. Clearly, they're all different nature. Uh, so I've got many many favourite places. But I think um, perhaps that the temperate glasshouse at Edinburgh uh, reminds me of places I visited around the world. I'm actually seeing plants in there which. I've helped collect in, in Nepal in expeditions. Uh, it's sitting under a juniper tree, which was introduced uh, into the West by my grandfather in 1919 on an expedition to, to Burma. Uh, so providing that, that family link. And I think the Avenue of Trees over at Ben Moore, the, the uh, Redwoods, the Avenue of Redwoods, which are absolutely magnificent, the finest avenue uh, of its type in, in Europe. Uh, and sadly, uh, they're not doing very well. So we are busy fundraising for that at the moment. The vision is to maximise our impact through education, through the plant collections, through our research on global biodiversity conservation. A lot of that is a science that underpins practical work on the ground. Some of it are our projects. But that, that really is, is the vision and making sure that every penny that we can, we can raise is directed to where it makes that difference and not getting sidetracked down into avenues which are nice to do's but are not essential to what we want to achieve. It's also about engaging people. Um, I suppose that's my, personally, that's one of my objectives is to make sure that we are engaging the, the breadth of society in Scotland. Uh, so it's not just uh, generally white middle-class people visiting the botanics. It's getting the kids from the poorer areas, poorer areas of Scotland. It's getting the Bangladeshi women's groups, dementia groups coming in and using the garden as, as, a, play, as a place of, of therapy, uh, as a place to, of learning, as a place to, to congregate as communities. And I think that's been a big change in the last seven to eight years in the botanics of, of public engagement and uh, health and well-being, which obviously is linked to this pandemic that we are suffering at the moment. Congratulations are in order as well, Simon, because you were very recently awarded IOD Scotland Public Sector Director of the Year. So uh, just uh, curious, what, I mean, what, what was the experience of attending an awards event uh, on, on Zoom, presumably, or, or something similar? And uh, how, how, did, how was the experience for you? Uh, it was bizarre at first because it was extremely well done by the Institute of Directors. It had all the razzmatazz on the screen, but there you are sitting in the kitchen. Um, thankfully, my washing was just out of out of sight at the time. Um, I did realise then I could actually drink alone because I was drinking virtually with other people, so that was quite quite fun. But it did actually show that with with the right resources and the right people presenting, that you can actually do a pretty good ceremony of of that description online. Obviously, you don't have the the atmosphere and and the and the food, um, but it's it's workable. And IOD did it did it really well, actually. Great and very easy to get home at the end of it as well. You also received an MBE for your services, uh, your service in, in the Royal Marines, and uh, you're a member of Her Majesty's Bodyguard of the Honourable Corps of Gentlemen at Arms, which is an extraordinary title. I just wonder what what does that entail. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Yes, it's 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 it's, it's a welcome um, distraction. So, for seven to ten events a year, thirty of us in the bodyguard go and uh, attend to the Queen for major ceremonial 
occasions to help host events, diplomatic reception, um, visiting heads of state. We help at uh, all the garden parties to to host and uh, uh, make sure everything runs smoothly. Uh, so sometimes we dress up in strange uniforms and do ceremonial stuff, but very often we're in, in relaxed rig, which will be a morning coat or something similar, um, looking, helping to look after the Queen's guests. Very good for networking, extraordinary privilege, and uh, gets you into places that uh, you know, a lot of other people don't go to. So, yeah, it's, it's quite an experience, and I, I enjoy that very much. Interesting. I didn't realise that's that's uh, what it was all about. So uh, beyond working life uh, and days out with the Queen and so on, what does a perfect weekend look like for Simon Milne? Well, it depends if it's in or out of COVID, but um, a perfect weekend will be no surprises there. I Up in Angus, I have a, two acres of, of garden up there, so I immerse myself in that. Um, and that's come on very well during COVID, I have to say. It's It's walking. It's obviously engaging with my children who've left home, but keeping in touch with them. Uh, I've taken up painting again. I do quite a bit of writing and um, cooking. So, you know, normal stuff, all, all, all good, healthy, generally healthy stuff. And uh, that's, that's what a weekend looks like. But definitely in Angus and preferably spending some time in the hills. Finally, um, if you could speak to that uh, unfortunate careers master now... Um, who told you there was no point in a career in conservation, what, what would you say to him? Well, I wouldn't say what I'd like to say. <laughs> um, I would say let young people follow their passions. If they've got a passion for something, an interest in something, follow it. And don't try and steer people down what you think are the, the proper professional routes. So, you know, whether it's uh, my wife was the same. She she had a passion for art, but in France that was considered not to be, believe it or not, the, the career she should be following. Uh, so she didn't manage to achieve that. Um, so, yes, let people follow their passions and encourage them, really encourage them, rather than that sort of straight career paths which people are so fond of pushing. Many thanks to Simon, a very interesting guy. My careers master told me that I should be a librarian, which actually is starting to sound quite an inviting uh, career option. But at the time, I was absolutely horrified. It was the last thing I wanted to do. Anyway, after that last uh, response from Simon, questions were opened up to members of the online audience. If you'd like to take part in future Scottish Business Network events, simply visit sbn.scot to see what's coming up. Or, as the wonderful voiceover artist Jenny Dunbar puts it, To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.